Hi, I'm Willow Belden, and you're listening to a special bonus episode of Out There. Today, we have a guest story from a new podcast called Shelter in Place. The podcast is about finding daily sanity in a world that feels increasingly insane. And the story we're going to share with you is about a backpacking trip on the John Muir Trail. It's a story that takes us out into the mountains and explores how the lessons we learn in the wilderness can help us navigate the challenges we're facing today. Here's Shelter in Place host, Laura Joyce Davis. I've been missing nature this week. We live just a couple of miles from Oakland's regional park system, but it's been weeks since I've been on those trails. The time I used to get there in my pre-COVID-19 life is now spent trying to do school with the kids. Lately, the little exercise I'm getting is whatever I can squeeze into the half hour after dinner when it's starting to get dark. The other day, my friend Laura sent me a photo of the two of us backpacking on the John Muir Trail. Seeing that photo of our grubby, smiling faces filled me with an immediate ache to be there again. It brought me back to what the trail had done for me, to the lessons I'd managed to bury in the busyness of my life this past year, but that I could really use right now. So today, while nature feels far away, I want to take you back to the trail. Laura and I hit the trail in August of 2019, but my story begins nearly three years before that, when I picked up Cheryl Strayed's book, Wild. I'd heard about Wild for years. It was an immediate sensation when it was published in 2012, and two years later it was made into a movie starring Reese Witherspoon. It was one of those books I'd been meaning to read for a long time. It's the true story of Cheryl's decision to spend three months solo backpacking the Pacific Crest Trail in the wake of her mother's death. When I picked it up in the summer of 2016, it was exactly what I needed. That summer, I was slowly emerging from a two-year stretch of on-and-off depression and a firestorm of pain that included a miscarriage, the loss of a beloved mentor, and the suicide of an old friend. It was one of those seasons where every time I got up, something knocked me down again. I was getting help and going to counseling, but I was coming to the end of my 30s, and my life wasn't what I'd hoped it would be. I'd been down for so long that I felt unlovable, even among my closest friends. I'd come to see myself as unfun, someone with emotions too big to handle, which was probably a pretty accurate assessment of myself at the time. I've always loved the trails, but my only experience backpacking was a weekend trip to Yosemite where my husband and I lugged heavy metal pots and hardback books to our campsite overlooking Half Dome. But Cheryl's words called to something deep inside me, a longing I didn't yet know how to voice. A year later, I was 39 and still thinking about them. I wanted to do something epic for my 40th birthday, a backpacking trip through the wilderness. I wanted to shrug off my unmet expectations for myself, to exchange the weight of what other people thought of me for the weight of my pack. I wanted to get out in nature long enough to see if I could find my way back to the person who didn't need other people's opinions to be okay. With three little kids, I knew I couldn't do what Cheryl had done, but I figured I could manage a week on the trail. My husband, Nate, encouraged me to start planning. 
I wanted to find the prettiest section of the PCT that could be covered in seven days. And the most frequent suggestion was the 55-mile North Lake-South Lake loop, which included four summits, sections of both the PCT and the JMT, and Evolution Valley, a spot 19 miles from the nearest trailhead that people couldn't stop talking about. I was coming back from a serious foot injury, a tear in my heel, and I didn't feel safe being out there alone, Cheryl Strayed style. So I asked my friend Laura Figueroa to join me. Like me, Laura's a mom of three. Her kids are older, and she's one of those moms I've often looked to for wisdom. She's real about her struggles, honest about it when she makes mistakes. Maybe that's why, even though our paths don't cross often in daily life, she's who I thought of first for this trip. She's a friend who makes me feel seen. She also turned out to be the ultimate backpacking buddy. She planned all our food, loaned me gear, and did tons of research on the trail we'd selected. I turned 40 in April of 2019, and Laura was there toasting me at my party. I'd done a lot of self-work since I read Cheryl's book. I didn't feel like I had it all together, but I'd slowly found my way back to joy. The baby I thought would never be born had just turned two. I was starting to understand that the emotional vulnerability that a few years before had felt like my fatal flaw was maybe the best thing I had to offer the world. Laura was one of the friends who helped me see that. But in the months between April and August when we planned to hit the trail, we both began to question our decision to go. Both of our lives had reached a fever pitch of intensity that neither of us could have predicted one year earlier. Laura had started her own occupational therapy business, and it was thriving, so much so that she was hosting a training for other OTs a few weeks after our trip was scheduled. She was also getting a PhD, and our trip fell during her first week of class. My foot injury, which I'd assumed would be a thing of the past by August, turned out to be a year-long recovery process that included two procedures, weeks on crutches, and months of staying off my feet as much as possible. Despite many months of physical therapy and training, I still wasn't back to 100%. The week before the trip, when Laura and I were weighing our packs and discussing which toiletries we could leave behind, I was beginning to panic. The trip fell two weeks before the Fulbright application deadline. It was a deadline I'd been working toward for nearly a year, but I still had a lot of work to do, including writing and recording a 30-minute podcast episode to submit for my portfolio. At that point, I was just learning about podcasting. I barely knew how to use a mic. I would also come back from that trip to a Spanish language evaluation, and I didn't feel ready. When I told my Spanish teacher, Vivi, about the trip, I could tell she didn't think I was ready either. But my husband and a few close friends urged me to go. Maybe this is what you need, a friend said, to give yourself permission to let go of all this for a week. Maybe it'll give you the perspective you need to finish your work when you get back. Sunday morning, Laura and I loaded up her little Prius and headed east. As the miles of road passed beneath us and we traveled through the mountain forests of Yosemite, we began to settle into what we'd committed ourselves to. Neither of us felt responsible, leaving our obligations behind, but we were doing it anyway. Ahead, there was only forest and mountains and the road. Sunday night, we stayed in a motel and did a sunset hike on the shores of Mono Lake. We repacked our packs, taking out anything that we didn't absolutely need. 
Monday morning, we drove the final stretch to Bishop, where we'd hit the trail. It was starting to feel real, and I was surprised by how nervous I felt. Laura must have felt it too. We both grew quiet as we drove, thinking of all we were leaving behind and the great unknown ahead. It was 11.30 by the time we found a spot to park, confirmed we could leave our car there for a week, checked our packs one last time, and hit the trail. It was later than we'd hoped to start, and the sun was high overhead. The 2,056-foot climb up and over Paiute Pass was challenging, but the constant views of the valley behind us kept us going. I practiced telling Laura about my Fulbright project in Spanish, a monologue that would become part of our daily ritual for the next week. Still, that first day was hard. The hike was one long, continuous uphill, and we were intentionally moving slowly, thinking we needed to pace ourselves. By the time we were up over the pass, my foot was hurting. It was only day one, and I couldn't imagine five more days of the same. It was dark when we finally stopped to camp near a mossy stream in a green forest, most of the way to Hutchinson Meadow. It was beautiful, but I was discouraged. I woke up in the middle of the night to discover the sleeping pad I'd borrowed from a friend was leaky. I had dreams that we had to turn around and retrace our steps. The next morning, as soon as I opened my eyes, I knew I'd have to decide if we were going to turn back or keep going. We were only 10 miles into our 55, and we'd covered two less miles the previous day than we'd intended. As we packed up our camp, we discussed the possibility of having to turn around, which we both agreed sounded terrible, and finally decided we'd commit ourselves to reaching the junction that would put us on the JMT and PCT trail for most of the rest of our trip. There was a ranger station not far from there, so if I needed to be airlifted out, yes, we seriously talked about that, That was the spot where it would happen. The first couple of hours of that day were grim for me. Even as we crossed sparkling streams and hiked through wildflowers, I was worried. But a couple of hours in, as we trekked down through exposed groves of young manzanitas and down along a raging river, something changed. Cheryl Strayed talks about this in Wild, the way your body can physically adjust to the load somehow becoming stronger and more capable with each passing mile. I felt that transformation happening. We started moving faster, realizing that the time on our feet was harder on our bodies than the increased speed. It was afternoon by the time we reached the junction and took a dip in the river. A few hours later, we reached the Riverside campsite that put us back on track for our original plan. We'd covered over 13 miles and were elated. And just like that, We were backpackers. We were doing it. By day three, there was no question of turning back. We were nearly halfway into our 55-mile loop. We were starting to get the hang of things, waking up by five and hitting the trail by sunrise. We weren't setting an alarm. Our bodies just felt ready. We planned our day so that the biggest and toughest climbs would happen early, while we were still walking in the cool light of morning and our legs were fresh. We hiked the steep switchbacks that would take us up to Evolution Valley and the wide, open beauty of McClure Meadow. We made friends with backpackers along the trail, went skinny dipping in the river. We told our life stories to each other over the span of 10-hour hikes. At first, I felt self-conscious about my storytelling, worried Laura would get bored, but she encouraged me to let my stories wander. We had time. 
It was a gift to be able to speak about my life unfiltered, to see where the narrative would take me. We reached the second set of switchbacks that would take us up to Evolution Lake and the string of mountain lakes after that, one of the most stunning places I've ever clapped eyes on. We ended up covering the 55 miles of our loop in five days instead of six. At some point, we stopped thinking about the end of the trail and just took each mile as it came, letting it surprise and delight us. I've never known hiking like that, where the journey itself is the best part. I've rarely known living like that. We were covering miles faster than we had intended, and we felt good doing it. My foot continued to be sore, but I learned to ice it in a mountain lake or river every night and to massage it before I went to bed. I stopped worrying, not just about my foot, but about my life. The world wasn't going to end because we'd stepped away from it. In fact, the opposite had occurred. Putting pause on our lives had given us the ability to see our problems in their proper perspective. Whatever happened, we would get through it. There's a quote I found of Cheryl Strade's from a talk she gave after Wild was published. It sums up what I learned on the trail and the lesson I'm still learning right now. I reached out to Cheryl before today's episode to ask her permission to quote it, and she got back to me right away. She said, I don't like this. It's uncomfortable, but I can do it. She called that resilience that she learned on the trail a gift of poverty, a radical acceptance that allowed her to come to terms with her mother's death and appreciate what she herself had to offer the world. Cheryl said, The PCT gave me the strength and faith-keeping I needed to become a writer. When Laura and I came back from that week on the trail, not much had changed in the lives we'd left behind. Our families had missed us a little, but our absence had also given them some freedom from the norm. Both of us found the work we returned to smoother and easier. After hours of discussing each other's work day after day, we'd had epiphanies that we probably wouldn't have come to if we'd just kept charging through the routines of regular life. I wrote a pilot podcast episode I was proud of. I scored higher on my Spanish exam than I needed to. I've been thinking this week about Cheryl's words, about the ways my COVID-19 life is a bit like my time on the trail. That uncertainty I lived with each day on the trail, when I wondered if my foot would hold up and get me home, is an awful lot like the uncertainty of not knowing if our bodies, or the bodies of the ones we love, will endure this time. I don't know where this time will lead us, but there's no turning back. We're here. We're doing it. The trail was hard, but it gave me the strength and solitude and friendship I'd been missing for so long in my life. I wonder if even in the midst of this struggle, this time of sheltering in place could give us something similar. If even with all the challenges and tragedies we're facing, we could emerge from this time with some much needed perspective. I wonder if our bodies and our lives can undergo the needed shift to make us more resilient and also better at supporting each other. As Cheryl said, I don't like this. It's uncomfortable, but we can do it. That was Laura Joyce Davis 
host of the podcast Shelter in Place. We'll talk with her in just a moment about how producing this podcast is making her life better. But first, since we just heard a story about backpacking, let's talk about wilderness hygiene for a moment. If you're a woman or you squat when you pee, you need something to wipe with. Let me recommend the Kula cloth. Kula cloth is a high-tech pee cloth made with antimicrobial material. When I first started using a pee cloth, I was a little skeptical, but it turned out to be great. You don't have to deal with toilet paper out in the backcountry, at least not for number one. And if you hang your pee cloth on your pack, it dries out between uses. As a side note, I've also been using my Kula cloth at home recently since it's been hard to buy toilet paper. Kula Cloth is a longtime sponsor of Out There. For 10% off your order at kulacloth.com, enter the promo code OUTTHERE at checkout. That's K-U-L-A cloth.com, promo code OUTTHERE. And now, on to our conversation with Laura Joyce Davis, the host of Shelter in Place. Laura is a writer in Oakland, California, And Shelter in Place is a daily podcast that seeks to find sanity in a world that feels increasingly insane. Laura says the idea for the show came about while she was riding her bike. You know, the day before we actually started sheltering in place, so this was Monday, March 16th, um, we had gotten the news. I was spending some time with family. Um, my, My husband's sister and her kids were down visiting us from Healdsburg. And we just sort of had this moment where we all realized at once, oh, wow, things are really going to happen in a big way, a bigger way than we had anticipated. We had already heard that previous Friday that schools were closed, so our kids were already home. But I think, honestly, we thought, even then, this is going to be three weeks. We'll do this for three weeks. The kids will go back to school, and it'll be a three-week hiccup in our lives, and we'll all move on and go back to, you know, the normal thing. So, you know, we found this out. And in the evening hours of that last day before starting to shelter in place, uh, I went for a bike ride up in the Oakland Hills. And as I was biking, I just, this often happens to me when I'm out, you know, running or biking or exercising, where I'll start writing in my head and ideas will come to me in that space that don't when I'm just sitting at a desk. And so I started thinking about what this time meant for me personally. And I realized that this was going to be a pretty tough time for, I mean, you know, for everybody, obviously. But um, the times that are hardest for me in my regular life are times when my whole life is kind of wrapped up in parenting my three kids. And I adore my kids. I'm so grateful to be their mother and also have come to a place as a mother of realizing I, that parenting doesn't fill me up in the way that creative work does. And so I, I knew I was going to have to figure out some strategy. You know, I was thinking this would be three weeks, but I was thinking I, I need some way to survive this time well. And if all I am doing for the next three weeks is having my whole life revolve around homeschooling my children and disciplining my children and trying to get them to obey and all, you know, all these things that are just part of daily life with little kids, I knew that I was not going to be in a very good place um, in terms of like psychologically and emotionally, but also creatively that that, that felt like 
just a not very healthy place for me to be. So, um, so that was the beginning, and it's been a gift in ways that I could not anticipate. You know, I'm I'm now working on episode 31 as we're having this conversation, and it's really helped this time to have purpose for me and to just keep my head in a good place, um, especially on the hard days. Yeah. So how, in what ways has it been a gift or in what ways that you didn't anticipate has it been a gift? I think one of the biggest surprises for me has been how connected it's made me feel to other people. Certainly people in my own life who I've reached out to and people who have been listening and reached out to me, that's been wonderful. But even beyond that, it's prompted me to reach out to strangers a lot. So often as I'm writing these episodes, it's it's my own experience of sheltering in place. But often it's that experience informed by people and experts in a particular field. And so I'll reach out to people always if I'm going to quote them or even mention their name. I, I always reach out and ask for permission first. And the email exchanges that have happened through reaching out have been really delightful and lovely. Um, and I've loved that connection. That's That's been really fun. I mean, that's not the only good thing that's come out of it, but I think that's probably been the biggest surprise for me. So an episode a day is a lot. Um, I mean, a lot goes into to stories that are, you know, that are highly scripted and highly shaped. Yeah. Um, how has that experience been, you know, just producing that volume of content? Yeah, uh, it it is not something that I would have ever done before all of this. Um, in fact, if you had asked me, I mean, even a week before we started sheltering in place, if I could ever imagine myself doing anything daily, I would have said, absolutely not. That's completely unsustainable. You know, I have three little kids. Um, I am something of a perfectionist myself, especially about my work. And so I'm that person who, you know, has multiple novels that are 99% done, but, you know, not quite out there because they're not perfect yet. I mean, that, I'm, I'm super guilty of that. So it's a project that I not only could I have not imagined, I probably would never have wanted to do this, but it's forced me to trust myself creatively in a way that I don't think I have ever done before. Because honestly, most days I have, I go into that morning knowing maybe an idea for that next episode, but most of the time I don't know what's going to happen even two days away. It's been fun. I, I didn't, you know, again, I'm, I'm so surprised <laughs> I'm doing this, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's forced me to dig deep creatively. And it's also pushed me, I mentioned before that I've reached out to other people a lot. And I think getting to celebrate the work of other people in this world, other artists certainly, but also just other people who are doing good work. That's been really fun. And I think if I were only relying on my own life experience every single day, my life's just not that interesting. You know, I'm not, it wouldn't be that good. But I think what really supports the structure of the daily episode is pulling in the stories and the work of other people as it relates to what I'm experiencing during this time. Sometimes I wonder whether the act of documenting something that we're going through 
changes our experience of going through that thing. Do you think that's happening to you with the, with making this podcast? Like, is it changing the way that you are experiencing this pandemic and sheltering in place? I absolutely agree with that. I think for me personally, I mean, I've been pretty open in the podcast about I've definitely had several seasons of pretty intense depression in my life. And, you know, I was I was coming out of one of those a few months before this started. And I have noticed in my own mental health how much of a difference it's made to show up every day for the work and show up and force myself, even on the days where I just don't feel good or I am tired or I didn't sleep very well or my I'm feeling like a total failure as a parent. Even on those days, that work of forcing myself to find some sort of meaning or, you know, it's not always like, I don't, I don't like the term silver lining so much. I mean, I, you know, I think there is such a thing as silver lining in this, but to me, it feels a little trite um, because I, I think in each day, what I'm trying to do is sit with the reality of what we're in right now and not sugarcoat that. But at the same time, dig a little deeper, both within myself and in the work other people are doing out there to see if we can find our way to hope in the midst of all of the hard stuff. And there's no question that if I weren't doing this, I would be, I think I'd be pretty depressed right now. I, I don't consider myself one of those people who's, you know, just like happy go lucky, no matter what I try to be, I try to be upbeat, but I think it is much easier for me to kind of slide into the melancholy of the world sometimes. And so this is, this has lifted me from that in ways that I really needed. And, you know, I'm, I'm grateful when I hear that that's, that that's helping other people in this process too. Well, and I was just going to ask, what do you hope listeners are taking away from this podcast? It's a great question. I think I hope that more than anything else, we can not let this time just be an interruption to our regular lives that we then go right back to just like we were before. But I guess I hope that we can maybe face ourselves in a more courageous way during this time, even if it means facing up to the fact that maybe some of the way, you know, there's a phrase that my husband and I have been talking about Um, you know, that just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. And I think about so much of our lives pre COVID-19 in that light that I think there's a lot of things that we just assumed were the way it had to be or that we needed it to be. And, you know, whether you're talking about air travel or, you know, the amount of things you consume as a household or, you know, the money you spend or, you know, the the list goes on and on and on. Right. Or even just like our own existential questions. I think it was so easy before for, for everybody I knew anyway, like most of us were so busy that it was hard to stop and ask ourselves those difficult questions and to challenge ourselves to, to ask ourselves, like maybe the way I'm doing things isn't actually the best way. And maybe there is a better way that isn't easier, but is, you know, kind of better for the greater good of this world. And I don't, I don't seek to offer people a neat and tidy answers because I don't believe that there are neat and tidy answers. I think even the best answers are, are messy. 
but I, I guess I hope that people will feel invited into the questioning that comes in that mess that I think can actually be quite beautiful. And maybe it'll push people to dig a little deeper in their relationships with others or in their own thinking about what they can offer the world. Um, I know that's showing up in all kinds of ways for my family and me right now in terms of just rethinking almost everything, you know, how we do our daily life together, what our work looks like, how we spend our money or not, <laughs> as is the case right now. <laughs> right. Um, you know, what travel looks like, what future plans look like, our incessant need to be in control of everything. You know, none of these things are bad in and of themselves, but I do think there's a point where we can sort of be controlled by our need for control. And I guess I hope that we come out of this time making some deep changes, whatever that looks like. Well, Laura, thank you so much for for taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you so much for talking. It's been really great, Willow. Laura Joyce Davis is the host of Shelter in Place. You can see more of her work at laurajoycedavis.com, and we have a link to her show on our website as well. One quick announcement before you go. Applications are open for the Out There Summer Production Internship. This internship is a chance for you to work closely with our award-winning team and hone your audio storytelling skills. You can find all the details at our website, outtherepodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share the link with a friend. We're always looking for new listeners, and your recommendation is our best form of advertising. Our strategic advisor is Alex Eggerking. Our advertising manager is Jessica Taylor. Sheba Joseph is our audience growth director. Ben Montoya is our production intern. And our theme music was written by Jared Arnold. Stay home, be safe, and we'll see you next week.